if you're listening, Bobby, I'm coming for you. <laughs> Welcome, everyone, to the Gravity Beard Podcast. We're recording today in Studio A. Thank you, as always, to our listeners. We appreciate your continued support. My dad's been on the show twice before in episodes 26 and 28. On the first, we discussed how much he hates technology, and on the second, he tells some very entertaining stories. Well, today he's back, probably for the last time. My dad turned 74 this year, and in honor of Father's Day this Sunday, I thought we'd air a short series where he spends this time telling his life story. I did the same thing with my mom this past January. If you heard that, then this is also a chance for you to hear my dad's version of some of the same stories she told. Hope you enjoy. This is Gravity Beard. Welcome back to the show. Well, thank you. It's good to be back. Yeah, thanks for coming on again. Most people don't ask me back. <laughs> Why is that? I have no idea. I don't either. Something about attitude and personal hygiene. Personal hygiene? Well, it has come up. Okay, all right, fair enough. What do you think about the new recording equipment? Uh, I'm impressed. You know me and uh, high-tech recording equipment. And technology in general. Well, overall. Right, right. Okay, so this is not your first time on the show, of course. No, and I meant to ask you about my royalty checks. Uh, I'll be in touch about that. Yes, I haven't seen many of them. So previously we discussed your relationship with technology. At the end of that episode, you said you might consider coming back, and so here we are. Um, I did consider it. Mm-hmm. We'll go ahead and get started, and we're going to start here. Let's start in the early years. Okay. I, I was born in 1944. Is that early enough? Uh-huh. That's perfect. So where were you born? Uh, New London, Connecticut at the Coast Guard Academy Hospital. And how how long did you live there? Because not very long, did you? Well, it couldn't have been more than six months. Okay. Because I remember my mother, as I was growing up, telling me, uh, being born in a military hospital, of course, no fees. Right. But she would remind me from time to time that I was free, and at that, I was no bargain. <laughs> well, look at how I turned out. Your mother actually said that. Repeatedly. <laughs> I think I was three and seven and 11 and maybe even 15 or 17. Several years in between. It went on and on and on. You are no bargain. And then <laughs> that's, in, that's, the mornings, in the mornings, and I, and I can remember this, I was not happy at breakfast time. She wasn't happy at breakfast time. So I'd pitch a fit, try to stand up in my high chair, and eventually fall out. She allowed me to do that every morning till I settled down and I could eat. Hmm. So I'm not sure if I fell on my head every day <laughs> or other body parts. So, no, it was uh, trying, to say the least. It's hard to say, right? Well, you wanted to go back to the early years. I certainly did. Okay, so where else did you live in your grade school and middle school years? Well, let me think. Dad being in the Coast Guard, World War uh, II going on, I was born in 44. It was over in 45 sometime. So I would say for the most part, it was in the Midwest. So you lived several places for what period of time? Um, Not keeping a diary at that age. I would say that I probably lived the longest period of time 
in Chicago and Milwaukee, Wisconsin. Okay, so after you were born in New London and lived a couple other places as you move at the Coast Guard, you settled down? That I don't know. I'm not sure if the military moved him to one spot for another few months and then ended up in the Chicago area, but I do recall uh, being in the Chicago area from probably the late 40s through the late 50s before moving on to... Milwaukee, Wisconsin. Okay, so you lived for several years in Chicago up until the mid to late 50s. 1958. 1958. Okay, so you were 14 at that time. Yes, that was before your time. <laughs> it, it was indeed. So you moved from Chicago up, up to the Milwaukee area. Reluctantly. In, just before high school. Uh, yes, yes. I was supposed to uh, uh, start my freshman year of high school uh, but for some reason, stayed in Chicago through the summer of 58 and then went on to Milwaukee and started high school in the fall of uh, 58 through 62. Okay, so specifically your kind of those early school years, what memories do you have, if any, from, from that time? Well, I remember the nuns, and I'm sure they remember me. But um, the early days of school, um, I was developing uh, a personality and an attitude. (laughs) And uh, I don't know which one got out first, um, but uh, there was a conflict. I see. Okay. Who are some of your first friends from childhood, early grade school? Well, like I said, I had a little bit of problems with... uh, personality and attitude and there was one kid in particular I'd still like to find him uh, he's probably in his 70s right now uh, but his name was can I say his name sure his name was Bobby Baltazar and if you're listening Bobby I'm coming for you <laughs> he was bigger than I was I'm not sure he was older or just bigger but he had a pension for beating me up so he was a he was a school bully. It was neighborhood. He was two houses away. I'd walk outside. He'd come over and beat me up. <laughs> You'd think he'd be mowing the lawn or pulling weeds. No. no, he walked over, beat me up, and went home. Check that off his list for the day. Bobby Baltimore, Baltazar. So just like in the movies, that that I mean, he fit the stereotype. It sounds like. Well, I don't know about the movies. I haven't been there for a while either. Right. 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 Any other early friend memories, memories of friends in your early grade school years? Um, Kids you hung out with in the neighborhood? Well, there there was the regular neighborhood group, and uh, behind us was a cemetery, and um, so we spent a lot of time in the cemetery. Okay, but you don't remember any specific friends from from your early years? Uh, Not by name. Got it. uh, the only one I really remember is Bobby Bolt. <laughs> Bobby made an impression for a Bobby, good reason. Bobby made a uh, real impact on my life, and there could have been 20 other kids in the neighborhood, but he's the only name I remember. Well, in, in my case, it was Louis DeCastro. There you go. And, and Louis was a couple years older than I think he was in uh, seventh yeah, grade and had a but mustache. But I was going to beat him up for you. <laughs> I remember. Yeah. but uh, I remember one time that it was towards the end of the school year, and Lewis threatened that he was going to flush my head in the toilet. Mm-hmm. And it was coming up on the end of the semester, exams and whatnot. And I legitimately got sick 
and and I'm oh yeah, you so, were upset. I don't I don't even think it was because of that. Like it was it was the time of the year where, where you start to get sick, and I got sick the day the day that he made that threat, and didn't. I don't know that I finished. I think I'm going to take my test some other time, but. Uh, so I avoided having my, my head flushed in the toilet. Yeah, well, I met the boy one day, and we had a nice short talk, and things worked out from that on. Oh, okay, good. I'm glad to hear that. Yeah. So we kind of answered the question, but how did you fit in socially? Were you popular, not popular? How did you re- relate to your classmates, well, that, that type of thing? in uh, elementary school, grade school, grammar school, whatever you want to label that, um, it was more about going and coming from school that the other kids you played with were not always from your school but more or less from your neighborhood because you went to a private catholic high school yeah you you went to private you went to catholic school 12 years right yes and so those kids came from three or four neighborhoods right and definitely multiple blocks in those neighborhoods and we pretty much walked to school with the kids from our block if they went to that school, walked home with that same two or three kids, and then if there were 10 kids in the block, because it was usually confined to one block, across the street, our side of the street, let's play ball, let's go this, let's do that, and we came up with all kinds of good stuff. Did you have any school-age crushes, either in the neighborhood or at school? Uh, not that I recall in, uh, elementary or whatever. It wasn't like I came home and said I was crazy about Natalie Woods or anything like that. <laughs> Did that come later? Maybe in junior high? I would hope so. But you don't remember? Uh, fleeting. Fleeting <laughs> okay. memories. I can't really divulge all of that. You know, your mother and I have been married almost 50 years and I don't want to hurt anybody's feelings. That's about right. Old crushes. We will get to that. I know the answer to this question, but for the sake of the show, what kind of a student were you? What kind of a student was I? I thought that a 70 was pretty much the mark. So I was not good at taking tests, but I could perform the day-to-day duties required of me in the classroom. So I more or less kept up with the homework, and if I got a 70 on a test, I felt as though I hit a home run. So throughout my early years, well, actually, early and high school, um, through those years, uh, a 76 average was big time for me. Okay, so you weren't unaware of the grade scale between A and F, but somewhere in there you decided for yourself that you were on a pass-fail arrangement well i thought c was good <laughs> how did you, how did you decide that when there was the a and because the B? 69 was a loser <laughs> if you get a 69 i don't care if that's passing or not you're a loser 67 don't even bother going back but if you got a 70 you can hold your head up high but what what made you not want to get better grades than that Just better grades than that not necessary well i think from about seventh grade on i was looking to get out <laughs> I mean, uh, they wanted to see me go. I wanted to leave. It was premature, so we stuck it out for another few years. Assuming that your your attitude towards school was different, 
I wouldn't call it an attitude. Assuming your perspective on grades were different. Okay, perspective sounds better. Could you... I mean, I'm assuming you were capable of getting better grades if you wanted to. I don't know. I never did. <laughs> how, how can you how can you assume that okay. when, in fact, I went through 12 years of school, and I think the highest grade I ever got was a 78. Okay. Right. But in high school, they made me an FTA. Which is what? A Future Teacher of America. Wow. Because what made they uh, think we'll you get were... to that later. Okay. But. Well, just real quickly, why did they think you were qualified for that with your... Because nobody else would take that rogue class that uh, this particular uh, teacher uh, had doctor's appointments or something. And in order to be an FTA, you had to have an 85 average. I had a 75 average. And how did you get exempt from but that requirement? He, well, he went to the principal and said, Tom Green's my man. Huh. I think I was a junior in high school. Tom okay. Green is the only guy that can handle my class. Yes, but he doesn't have an 85. We can't get him a pin. I had to wear a little pin on my shirt. And um, uh, they allowed me to take over, uh, I guess it was American history, junior year of high school. And you wanted to do that? Um, I thought the brownie points were good. <laughs> okay. You alluded to it earlier. You mentioned the nuns. What kind of trouble did you get into back in those years? Uh, name it. <laughs> we, it was, we we never really got along. We had to go to church every morning. Right. Right. That was the way it was done in elementary school. And, uh, and they called it, I think, grammar school, which I never understood because I thought grammar was English. But anyway, they called it grammar school. I thought it was uh, grade school or elementary. Anyway... So um, I remember vividly, um, for some reason, always being a talker. So even though you lined up in twos and walked up to the front of the church and filed into the pews, you were supposed to look straight ahead. And I would look over to my right or my left and uh, make a comment. Mm. Not a conversation, mind you. A brief comment and usually with a red hand across the side of my face. <laughs> so that's a heck of a way to start your morning. It certainly is. W what about outside of school, just out in the neighborhood? Bobby Baltazar beat me up every day. I know, but what, did you get any trouble yourself? Any hood rat stuff? Just stuff that kids do? Well, uh, I'm not sure if the police are still looking for me or not, but uh, there were a few times that uh, we did things that weren't... Uh, practical or acceptable by the law uh nothing it was more kids pranks but there were damages done and things i mean i remember lighting a couple of cars on fire and shooting out some street lights with a bb gun but uh nothing that would put you in the penitentiary for very long okay so that's a good transition when you were younger did you have any toys or things that were particularly special to you maybe a bike a red rider a wagon, anything like that? Any? I, I had uh, old toys uh, because we didn't have a whole lot of money. So when the toys came along, yes, there was always a Red Rider uh, wagon, right? Or a Red Flyer. Well, the Red Rider was the BB gun. The Radio Flyer well, was the that, wagon. Well, I didn't have that very long. <laughs> the BB gun? Yeah. <laughs> I have one now, though. You didn't use that as intended? Um, I don't know. What do they intend you to do with them? If you give an 11-year-old kid a loaded BB gun, what does he do with it? 
Yeah, fair enough. He shoots at things. I, I couldn't agree more. And then they took it away from me, and I thought, wait a minute, I'm getting mixed signals here. Yeah, absolutely. You, you gave me a loaded gun, and now you disapprove of what I'm doing. You take it away. So I went back to the radio flyer, and I had a 20-inch uh, uh, J.C. Higgins bike. It came from uh, J.C. Penney's. Okay, so speaking of your bike, I seem to remember you telling a story about how your bike got stolen by a neighborhood kid and you took matters in your own hands. Um, I don't recall that story. You don't remember going and getting your bike back? Oh, I'm sure I've d- I did it more than once. <laughs> more than once. But I didn't light anybody on fire or anything. Or I'd, <laughs> I'd remember the story. I, 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 just, th- I, I think it was a non-issue. Okay. Kid, you, 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 we never put our bikes up on a kickstand or up on a porch or anything. You just rode them into the front yard. You got off of them. They fell over. We had 20 and 24-inch bicycles, not these goofy-looking things that they have today. We didn't have to wear tights to ride them. We just rode around on our bikes. When you got off of them, you just dropped them and walked wherever you were going, into school or or house or even the grocery store, you just laid it down on the sidewalk and did your thing. When you came out, if it was gone, you asked somebody where your bike went. Well, Bobby Baltazar drove it away. <laughs> and you went over and retrieved it. Huh. So they were really more like community bikes. They weren't supposed to be. But they were in pra- for practicality's sake. Um, yes. They never really got stolen and taken out of the neighborhood. Okay, so... When you're in private school, or when you're in, in parochial school, you wear uniforms. Uh, they, they tell you what to wear. Yes. Okay. But outside of school, did you ever reach a point in, in your childhood where you were paying attention, or the kids that you the kids that you hung out with were paying attention to what people were wearing, and you wanted to wear a certain no, pair of shoes? No, we never or, did. The, the only thing that, uh, that was noticeable is that the bigger kids, not the little kids... The bigger kids wore Levi's rolled up at the bottom. Got it. And so we aspired to be big kids. So some days we could wear Levi's. They usually wore them with either a black belt with the buckle on one side or the other never in the front because they worked on their cars and didn't want to scratch Ah. them. So the buckles were on the side. I thought it looked like a bunch of girls, but I didn't tell them that, of course. Because they were much older. I'm sorry? You didn't you didn't tell them because they were much older. No, oh. so so once I got older and could wear the Levi's myself, I understood why they put the buckle on the side. Because if you leaned over the fender of your car, which we did all day, every day, some days, but on a regular basis, uh, you had a scratched up front fender. Makes sense. But of course, being in sixth grade and looking at these boy yahoos, you. Sitting on a fender of a 49 Plymouth, you what a bunch of losers. <laughs> so fast forwarding a little bit, tell us about your early employment. You had a paper out when you were a kid. Yeah, that didn't work out so well. I, <laughs> I, I had an old Schwinn bike, and back then you actually put a canvas bag with a strap. The strap went over your head on your shoulder, and I was left-handed, which was at a disadvantage. But uh, And then the bag hung down uh, on your right side or left side. Uh, the paper thing, I was getting $1.10 a week for throwing papers in the morning. So 
what other jobs did you have early on? What was your first job where you worked for someone where you had to kind of report it on a schedule, like the grocery store or gas yeah, station? Yeah, or something I, like I that? worked for Piggly Wiggly when I was fourteen. Ah, uh, yes, and um, quite an adventure um, because there was food to eat in the produce department. There were police places to hide in the warehouse, uh, including the walk-in cooler, which had a lot of good stuff in it. And um, I was supposed to be bagging groceries and um, taking them out to people's cars or, in some cases, down the street to their homes, putting them in their kitchens. Um, But for some reason, uh, I don't know if it was attitude or uh, personal hygiene or both again, but there was this woman, she was a grouchy old thing, and one day she went to the manager, told the manager that I put the eggs and the strawberries on the bottom of the bag and all the canned goods on top of the bag. No truth to that? It was her word, period. No justice. And yeah. I, I looked at the manager and I said, you got to be kidding me. Nobody in their right mind would put eggs on the bottom and Campbell's soup cans on the top. I said, I'm not the smartest guy in the world, but I know not to do that. I don't know. And, of course, she's standing right there uh, contradicting everything I'm saying. And who's he going to back up? The one who's putting the cash in the register or the guy putting the eggs in the bottom of the bag? So she must have come back and complained about that because had she done it at the time, then there would have been the bag of groceries right there to look at. No, no, no. This was the cashier. That told the manager. Oh, the cashier. It was not the. There was never a customer complaint. Interesting. I did an excellent job. I didn't rank fourth or fifth. I came in first or second. <laughs> you were first in, in grocery bagging. I in grocery bagging. I excelled. <laughs> and this grouchy old checker cashier made up this story. Right. I wanted the other employees to step up. Of course, they wouldn't because they needed their job. So you were the victim of a conspiracy. You could say that. So whether it was this or other similar jobs, would you say you were a better employee or a better student? Um, I don't I don't think there's any question about that, uh, except for eggs and strawberries supposedly on the bottom. I was probably a better employee because I always felt as though um, early on in school, I'm smarter than that teacher. Maybe I can't do the math she can do, but I know how to go out and make money, get a job, get the job done, hands-on. And I was never a carpenter or an electrician or anything that was super handy, but I could get out there, get the job done, collect the money, knew a little bit about money management, and I thought to myself, you know what? I can make it out here. I don't really need the brick-and-mortar educational facility. Makes sense. Okay, switching gears. Okay, so by the time this airs, you will have celebrated your 50th wedding anniversary. Uh, Your mother will have celebrated her 50th, and without your mother, there wouldn't be a 50th. Well, congratulations to both of you. Well, thank you. Tell us how you and Mom met and about your first date. Well, that too was interesting. Um, Your mother was the youngest of five children of a family who worked very hard. I think six, right? Was it six? Who's counting? Uh You've left one out. Which one? 
I don't know. You didn't. You didn't name them, but I think well, I a, wouldn't name. I think them. she was the youngest of six. All right. If you say there's six, there was six. Okay. All right. I'll go along with your theory. We were in a Catholic community, so your mother was going to a parochial school, both elementary and uh, high school and college. And I um, was working with a buddy of mine at a car dealership called Hall Chevrolet in Milwaukee. And he was the parts driver, and I worked in the service department as a car jockey, shuffling cars around. And we got along well because we were kind of free spirits. And uh, somehow, someway, um, 19 years old or something, he's got a pregnant girlfriend and asked me to stand up for the wedding, be his best man. Well, I was honored, but I really didn't want to be anybody's best man at that point. But I was looking forward to going to the wedding because there was free free beer hmm. and lots of 18, 19, and 20-year-old girls. Of course. But if I was best man, then there was a maid of honor. And what happened if she didn't have a boyfriend or a husband? Then I'm stuck for the whole day. With with that one person. And and I've rented a tuxedo. <laughs> Well, look at it from a practical standpoint. Yeah, so now you got money invested in this venture. So I didn't mind investing the money. How much did it cost to rent a tuxedo back then? I think they were around 60 bucks. That's not cheap. No, back then that was a lot of money. Oh, no, I'm sorry. I guess you could have bought one for 60 bucks and rented one for 20. Okay. Something like that. Clearly you rented one. Oh, it is. Yeah. Yeah. I I got. Being the practical person that you are, you must have rented it. Being the practical, conservative individual I am, mm-hmm. I'm, That's I'm right. sure I did. Um, so anyway, I had, I had mixed feelings about it. Well, then uh, his mother happened to work for this family bakery. And this girl named Janie Moyer worked part-time with this woman who was the manager of this particular store. They had 15 or 18 stores located around the city of Milwaukee. And this gal who was going to college worked at the bakery. And so the mother comes to me and says, I've got a date for you for the uh, wedding. And I thought, well, having the maid of honor is one thing, but then to have a date to go to a wedding, counterproductive. Yeah, that goes against the entire spirit of the event. Oh, the whole thing is... I mean, it's out the window. Oh, forget it. The best laid plans. <laughs> right. I mean, there, there could be somebody really interesting, right? Oh, yeah. There's only one way to go to a wedding. And if you're now single. I've got a maid of honor and a date. You have got to be kidding me. Yeah. So in that regard, you're kind of tied down on two fronts. I'm very much tied down, yeah. restricted. Mm-hmm. So um, I said to her, I'm going to have a maid. Well, she's married. The maid of honor is married. And I thought, one down. Right. Right. <laughs> I thought, good. I got rid of that one. She's going to be with her husband and two or three kids. That's All I got to do is walk up the aisle with her, walk down with the aisle. The rest of that wedding is wide open. <laughs> but now what do I do about the baker's daughter? Right. Oh. Right. So I thought to myself, well, let's do it this way. 
I'm from one side of the tracks. She's from the other side of the tracks. Any of the girls that lived on the north side had money because the north side was where the money was. Anybody that lived on the south side, they worked for a living, blue collar. So I thought, all I got to do is take her out on a date. She'll realize I'm not for her, and uh, uh, we'll move on. She may or may not go to the wedding, but she won't be there with me. Wide open field again. So she was supposed to go to the wedding, you said. Of she was course. supposed to be your date to the wedding. Well, the mother right. set my buddy's mother did me this big favor. <laughs> right. Yeah. Thank you. So um, I called her up and I, I called this girl up, this Janie Moyer person, and I said, um, it was like on a Wednesday. And usually by Wednesday, during that period of time, that era, everybody had plans by that time, by Wednesday, for Friday and Saturday. So you were hoping she would have plans? Oh, I knew she'd have plans. But you waited till Wednesday because you were hoping Absolutely. That- <laughs> it was all planned and timed out. Okay. So you wait until Wednesday, mm-hmm. and you don't do it at 11 o'clock in the morning. No, no. You do it at 7 o'clock at night. That's correct. All right. Because she's not in bed till 9 or 10, mm-hmm. even with school. So um, she comes on the phone, and I said, um, hey, I, so-and-so, John's mother said that, and I just thought it'd be a good idea if we went out somewhere uh, before the wedding, get a little acquainted, and then uh, perhaps go to the wedding together. What are you doing? And I thought, you know, shorten it by one full day. Mm-hmm. It's Wednesday. Don't ask for Saturday night. Friday. Friday night. Mm-hmm. Really cut the time down. <laughs> Surely she's busy on Friday. Of course she is. She and Saturday. Mm-hmm. So I said, what are you doing Friday night? Nothing. <laughs> that must have been a terrible news for oh, you. Oh, I almost dropped the phone. <laughs> and I said, what are you doing Saturday night? Nothing. Oh, dear. Oh, my God. What kind of a bow wow am I going out with? <laughs> so took a deep breath, and I thought, all right. For John's mother, I said, all right, you want to do something on Friday night? Oh, yeah. I said, okay. I'll pick you up at 8 o'clock. That was the time to go out then. Mm-hmm. It was 8 o'clock. Yep. Take you out to 8 o'clock because normally by that time, they've eaten at home. <laughs> Save the cost of the meal. Perfect. Right. Because you it. don't take them out to a McDonald's or a whatever. Mm-mm. On the first big-time date. Right, of course not. They want to go out for a real meal and sit down and eat. Absolutely. So A tone setter for the rest of the relationship. You say, hey, I'll pick you all. <laughs> <laughs> don't, don't set a precedent. Mm-hmm. So you say, well, how about 8 o'clock? Well, I said, okay, 8 o'clock's good. Um, she's telling me because I have to go to a friend of mine's funeral at 7 I should be home by 8. I thought, what am I getting myself into? She doesn't have a date for Friday or Saturday night. She's going to a funeral. That should put her in a great mood for going out with (laughs) me an hour later. Mm -hmm. And I wasn't a heavy drinker at the time, but I thought I could be. Hmm. Uh, So I show up at 8 o'clock, and she's not home yet. Well, I ring the doorbell. And this little old lady in a house dress and an apron comes to the front door. 
Hell, I thought it was the housekeeper. It was her mother, but I didn't know that. And she's not home yet. So she takes me into a den, and this was in 1966. And she sits me in front of a color TV set. I thought I died and went to heaven. Which weren't very common at the time. Northside money. Right. I thought, hey, I don't care if she shows up at all. <laughs> I'll just stay here for the next couple hours and then go home. I've got the current Westerns in color. Right there in front of you. On a, it looked to me like about an 18 or 20 inch TV. And you're probably sitting on a decent couch or chair at the time. It was nice. I didn't even think much about the seating. I could have stood there and watched it. <laughs> and Terrific. Anyway, so a few minutes later, she comes home, brings this little old lady in, and introduces me to her as her mother. Well, I swallowed because I was glad I didn't say anything negative or derogatory. About the family to the housekeeper. Oh, yeah. Mm-hmm. Or, or about her. That was the first thing that crossed my mind was, do they pay you enough to work here? <laughs> what no. Are you, what are you doing scrubbing the kitchen floor on a Friday night at 8 o'clock? Yeah. I mean, I, w- I was going to liberate this woman. Mm-hmm. mm-hmm. Well, it turned out to be my future mother-in-law. Right. So fortunately, I kept my big mouth shut. It was probably the first time in years. Mm-hmm. But something dawned on me and said, hey, don't, don't say anything. So I look over, and she's got her friend, Susie, with her. And she said, you don't mind if Susie goes along with us, do you? Ah. I thought... What did I get myself into? It's getting better and better. Wait until I see Myra on Monday. <laughs> I'm going to give her a piece of my mind. Myra was the gal that mm-hmm, that set you up. Worked at the bakery, right? So we go outside, and back then, and maybe some still do today, you open up the door for whoever's going to get in on that side. In this case, there were two females. Well, they looked at each other. I'm holding the door open. It's cold as it can be. And they're wondering which one's going to sit in the middle back then. No bucket seats, no uh, seat belts. Big big bench seat. Which big bench seat? Big mm-hmm. bench seat. Mm-hmm. What are you going to do? And I'm looking at each one of them, and they're trying to decide who's going to sit in the middle next to me and who's going to sit next to the exit door. I would, I would assume you'd want to sit next to your date. Well, how come she didn't assume that? <laughs> I don't know. So this who, is your mother. So who did you end up sitting next to? Well, her. Okay. Because I motioned. Right. I said, perhaps you should sit Janie, there. Janie, Janie, would you like to get in? Uh-huh. Susie, you can. So we went out. We spent about an hour out. I had about $10 in my pocket. Oh, dear. Yeah. And unemployed. But that goes a little further well, uh, that, well that, the drinks were a dollar. Right. Yeah. So we went to this club. They had a little music. As I recall, and there was no uh, uh, cover charge. Uh, they just wanted bodies in there. And uh, so I remember going to the Holiday House and Joey D and the Starliners mm. were playing uh, that night. So I thought, well, this would be great. Well, the two of them sat down. We ordered drinks. Uh, so we had three drinks delivered and a tip. So right now, I'm down four bucks out of my ten. Out of your ten. Mm-hmm. Have a quarter of a tank of gas. And, and, you, and fi- you're, paying, you're paying for drinks for Susie as well. Of course. Right. I'm a gentleman. <laughs> Hopefully, we got enough gas to get home. 
So before they could order a second drink, and these girls could soak them up, uh-huh. they knew how to throw them down. They were going to drink your entire $10. They didn't know I had $10. <laughs> they assumed I had 20 or 30 Right, of course. And I didn't divulge mm-hmm. the total amount. Your limited funds. Yeah. So I made up some feeble excuse and said, we're out of here. We stayed until Joey D and the Starliners uh, huh. yeah, did their thing. Anyway, so we leave, and um, I said to your mother, do you want me to drop Susie off at home? It's 10 o'clock now. Maybe it's a little after 10. Do you want me to drop Susie off at home and then drop you off at home? Do you want to both be dropped off at whatever? She said, whatever. So I took Susie home, took your mother home, and I said, like most guys do on the first date, I'll call you. Right. Backed out of the driveway, didn't look in the rearview mirror, went home. Mm-hmm. Right? So naturally, I got a phone call the next day from Myra. How did it go? Oh, yeah. Mm-hmm. How did it go? Well, I didn't want to get into all the gory details. I said, wonderful. Oh, then you're taking her to the wedding? I didn't say that. <laughs> well, I'm sure she's counting on it. We talked about it uh, yesterday afternoon when we worked together, and we're going to work together all day today. It was Saturday morning. Oh. I thought, I'm dead meat. <laughs> There's no getting out of this. No getting out of it. Mm-hmm. Well, this is a good place to stop for now. Tune in tomorrow for part two to find out how things went at the wedding. But my dad is handcuffed by a date rather than getting to work the room. She would remind me from time to time that I was free, and at that I was no bargain. <laughs> you were first in, in grocery bagging. I, in grocery bagging, I excelled. <laughs> I would assume you'd want to sit next to your date. How come she didn't assume that? <laughs> I don't know. Well, the Red Rider was the BB gun. Well, that, I didn't have that very long. <laughs> the BB gun? Yeah. You didn't use that as intended? I don't know. What do they intend you to do with them? If you give an 11-year-old kid a loaded BB gun, what does he do with it? Yeah, fair enough. He shoots at things. I, I couldn't agree more. And then they took it away from me, and I thought, wait a minute, I'm getting mixed signals here. Network.